My name is Ron Moipo. I'm here to talk about doubt. We're going to be discussing emotional intelligence, talking about how doubt courses through all of our lives and the impact that doubt has in the way we think and how we try and navigate our lives. The important thing is to understand that as we talk about this, my perspective is someone who has managed over 300 people in a 20 year span. I've also been a deacon at a church. So I've dealt with a lot of management issues and dealing in a various multiple, multiple avenues in terms of working with people in very low impact, stressful situations as very, as well as very high impact, stressful situations, such as a funeral. And in the course of my working at a church, as well as working in government, I've had the, I've had the pleasure of being able to deal with people in various situations in regards to how they interact with others, how they communicate with others, and how they deal with their own thought processes. Also, I've been dealing with a lot of trainings. And many of the trainings I've had, um, a lot of things that I've come to navigate as well as become more attracted to was what are we thinking and I often ask myself what am I thinking and I'm sure all of us we ask other people what were they thinking and the whole thing that I under come to understand is that stress does a lot of damage and a lot of permanent misconfiguration into the way people think not only about themselves, but about others. So we're here to talk about today about how we think about things and what are we thinking and more importantly, understanding what the other person is thinking. Because a lot of times we always assume that they don't know what they're thinking. Now we understand at times that other people look and say and process in different ways. And there are cultural consideration factors as well as, um, factors in terms of values and other things that you can try and get your understanding of what folks try to manage. And it's important to understand that we're here to think about and put ourselves in other people's shoes in other people's situations. So to master your brain and to understand what you're thinking has to come first because we're all dealing with doubt. Now there's doubt, which is the confluence and the integration of a moment. We don't think of doubting when people say, oh, I have regrets. Regret is a judgment call. So we're not here to speak about judgment calls. We're here to understand doubt and how it affects our emotional intelligence. And our emotional intelligence is based on our emotional IQ. Our emotional IQ comes from a very different process from our natural cognizant IQ. Now, when we're talking about our cognitive brains and our thinking and our decision-making, the emotional part is totally separate from that. So let's talk about conflict management with emotional intelligence, because that's gonna help us understand the impact of doubt, which remember, 
is not the actual judgment, but it's actual the time that we take into where we have a connection, a congregation in a momentary pause of competing thoughts. And that's where we have to think of doubt being. Competing thoughts simultaneously interacting with our awareness. Now, when we talk about thinking, what are you thinking? In order for you to understand what you're thinking, we have to address what's called the NBA. Not the one with the basketball and players and things like that. We have to understand that in science, there are people who study the brain and they've come up with a terminology. And one of the terms that they came up with was the NBA, which is the neural behavioral approach. And that approach has been studied. Um, been, I'm trying to give you a picture of, in the thinking of your behavioral approach, your brain has three parts. There is the primal part of your brain, which is also referred, referred to commonly as the reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain goes into three modes, flee, fight, or freeze. This is still within us. This came from when humans were developing, going from the different primal stages of early man to the homo sapiens that we are now. So our earlier versions of humanity relied on the flight, the freeze, or the fight in order to survive. And this primal thinking part of our brain still exists today. It's also the way that it deals with stress. Now, my definition of stress is the environmental impact upon your thinking. And the best example that I can give is the way you wake up in the morning. If you're a peaceful, at rest, and not unconcerned with what has gone on in your life, and you wake up and you feel refreshed and you can go about your business, your level of awareness of your environment is at a low stressful point. And if you can't have a good night's rest because you did not sleep properly, and so you wake up, you wake up in a agitated mode, then that is a higher level of stress because you don't feel good. And that's not based on how you feel inside. That's based on what happened as you tried to wake up from uh, four nights of rest, rest, night of rest. And it's important to understand that our brain is actually separated from our bodies. And the important reason why it's separated from our bodies is so that our brain can process the information that we get from our bodies. And if we don't have a way of identifying the information that our body gives to us, we'll be constantly bombarded 
And some of us have a lower amount of regular regular regulatory um, awareness so that stress doesn't affect them at the same way you see other people who are always appearing to be highly agitated. And our primal bodies, our primal brains are supposed to deal with our normal body in a way so that it can process information, quickly delineate what needs to be done in terms of reactions to stress. So we're gonna deal with how that factor creates issues into how we can negotiate doubt. Because doubt affects us on the three levels of the brain. I've just described the primal brain, but also there are other two parts of the brain that we can't get into, we'll get into in other episodes. There's a more cognizant part that you deal with things that's slightly elevated higher than the reptilian brain. And the interesting thing is there's a third part of your brain which deals with highly complex situations. And this is the one where we think about lofty things, things that are what's considered existential. And so we're gonna just briefly touch on the existential part of our brains. The one that allows us to deal with more complex and abstract um, items that we are addressed with and that are brought to our attention. Now, I don't want to get too technical and too complicated and too um, basically boring. The reason why I want to think about why we are thinking about doubt so much and why we are allowing ourselves to doubt ourselves is because we judge and we create judgment out of situations that are emotional. And when we make judgments that are emotion-based, we totally miss the mark on what we're supposed to be doing as humans. It's not to say that it's um, improper to think about emotion or it's not necessary because we are human beings. We're supposed to be emotional. And if we don't accept how we feel, then we are going to find ourselves in situations where we can't appreciate what we feel. And I think what gets people in trouble is when they try and analyze and try to be emotionless. Um, it's not possible. It's more important for us from a cultural perspective to think about where we're from. I'm having uh, been involved with people and having been dealt in different situations where I've had to manage a, a staff of 20 in an area that's considered low income and I had to manage a staff of 20 in an area that is considered high income. The biggest connection that I saw in, ter in terms of performance of the staff was the importance of consistency. And I think all of us want to see consistency in our lives. And unfortunately, we don't get that consistent, stable environment because there's different stress factors. Now, in stress factors, um, I think one of the things that we can speak about is stress factors differ. Stress factors at work or stress factors in terms of the outside world are different 
the stress factors we get from from home, from our relationships. And the astounding thing that we found, well, I found personally through all my years of work is there are people who go through a whole life and they have these values. And always curious how people transpose values that they pick up from either their past or they're currently at or where they want to be and they expect other people to share those values. Now, there are certain understandable values that transfer to all of us, but I think what people confuse and they conflate or basically where they mix up is they take values and then they associate those values with judgments. And so we have to understand that when values don't correlate to judgment, we have doubt. And doubt can cause more issues with how we're supposed to appreciate. And I want you to understand that appreciation goes a long way. Because it's important to understand that if you have conflict within how you're supposed to behave, and then you have conflict with how you think others expect you to behave, then you're going to get a moment of doubt. You're going to get a moment of panic. And so when we're trying to think about what we're doing, we have to understand that our MBA, we have to understand what part of my awareness is this stuck in my primal brain where I'm just going to react very quickly? Or is it going to be more into the second part of my brain, which we'll get to later? And then there's always the third part of the brain, which is the hardest part to elevate your thinking into. Now, there are certain techniques that you can use to elevate your thinking to that third part. And the third part, that's the nice part. That's the part we should always get to. That's the one where we're acting like we are either Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi or even Mother Teresa, that altruistic, that I'm ready to sacrifice for the world, um, the one that allows me to be generous, the one that allows me to, to, to be considerate and to show mercy. And we know that level of thinking is not the easiest to attain. And that takes a lot of practice, and that comes with maturity. And you have people who are 70 years old who still act immature. But it's important to understand that it's okay to feel, I got to get out of here. And it's okay to feel like, I'm about to knock that person out. But it's more important to understand that you can elevate that feeling. You just have to accept it. Because most of us live in that second part of our thinking. So, so, so let's talk about the factors that allow us to either accept where we're at or dispute where we're at. Now, of course, a lot of times when people behave in what we call an irrational way, it's because they feel as though their identity is being threatened. Now, when I talk about identity, we're not talking about your physical identity. We're talking about your emotion, emotional identity. The emotional identity 
is important to understand so that we can correlate to how other people feel. So that when we find that people are in situations where they're not being listened to or they're mad at us or they're, they're upset or they avoid us, it's important to understand that how we're thinking can affect how they're acting. And now there's always been told that you have one mouth and two ears, but there are some times where you don't have time to be able to show that you're an active listener. So understanding where that person's emotional state is, as well as where their emotional identity is being threatened, can help you to be able to respond to others so that you can avoid an escalation or worse, a de-escalation to where when people are engaging within a conflicting manner in terms of a personal interaction with you, you can get them to understand, hey, let's lower what we're trying to do and let's connect to what's best for both of us. And that means that whether it's trying to convince a person at the drive-in at McDonald's, you forgot my fries, or whether you're trying to negotiate a raise, it's important to understand where that other person is at emotionally so that you can allow yourself to be able to find a place to where you're going to have an achievable goal. Now, there are times where we have to adjust and we can't get everything that we want, but it's important to leave that situation. Well, first, you want to leave in a, in, in a physical state of where you're not hurting, but also to make sure that you're not leaving in a state of emotional distress. So understanding if someone is happy or even being condescending, it all requires you to accept how you feel. If you're feeling nervous, that's a good thing. Whenever athletes are about to engage into a conflict, or I'm sorry, whenever athletes are about to perform in terms of their next engagement, whether it be speaking to the press or whether it be performing in terms of their, their, their event, the biggest thing that a lot of athletes embrace is their nervousness. Uh, from professional football to tennis to golf, as well as actors and as well as um, dancers. Um, they all say the same thing before they're about to perform. They get real nervous if they don't feel nervous inside themselves. And it's a curious way to address stress that people who can handle stress enjoy the feeling of anxiety. And some folks, they try to accept that feeling of anxiety but what gets in the way of them enjoying that feeling of anxiety is doubt. And once again, we see how doubt plays such a major role into elevating levels of anxiety, which in turn causes stress to become more magnified. Doubt can, can become a multiplier when people don't accept their emotional state. And when you're talking to someone and you have the experience and the maturity to except how you're feeling, you can recognize when someone is feeling that way. 
and you can recognize when someone is behaving in that manner. And then you can address that by getting them to accept how they feel. Now, of course, you're not going to tell that person, look, you need to get over yourself. It doesn't work like that. The more important thing is to understand how to get someone to recognize their own feelings. And one of the best ways to do it is you can always apologize without being either condescending or capitulating where you look like you're the weaker person. Because there are times where people will take advantage of you. And that is important to always protect yourself whenever you're in a situation of negotiation. And we understand that conflict, when we're talking about dealing with other people, is a, is a negotiation. And so it's easy to tell someone, hey, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. Or let's work this out. Or did you, have you considered this? A lot of times what we say can help the other person accept how we feel and also engage in how we feel because they see that we are being sympathetic to how they are. So this is where I'm going to go into story time and I'm going to tell a small little anecdotal story. I'm not saying this as to say that what I'm doing or what I have done in the past is correct, but to give you an example of how in dealing with different situations, there may be something that might reflect on something that you've gone through so that you can have a better, appreciate, better appreciation of what I'm trying to show you what stress can do to people. So of course, we have a situation where people line up for Christmas gifts and they have families. And so we, at my particular job, we were doing a toy giveaway or giving away backpacks, we're giving away toys. We're also giving away skateboards. Uh, so we have plenty of things to give away, no big deal. Then you have people who get greedy and they say, okay, I got one, now I gotta go shopping. Now, of course, we recognize that it's pretty greedy of you to say, hey, I got to go back in because I got to worry about my cousins in Georgia. As someone who's in charge of the event of this toy giveaway, I have a choice. When I see multiple people, not just one person, trying to get more than what they were allotted, I could say, A, I'm calling the police. You will be arrested. Or I can try to address the situation. Now, addressing the situation does not solve the problem. So if I address these folks, do I do it in a matter that's one-on-one -on -one, or do I do it in a broad sense as a way of giving myself personal satisfaction by shaming them? There we go with a value judgment. So it's important to understand that in this situation, we have people who are trying to get back in line to grab more toys because they out loud said, oh, now I can go shopping for my relatives in other states. And in those situations, using a scalpel as opposed to a hammer and addressing how those people feel emotionally allows me a chance to be able to engage in what they're saying and how they're feeling. But I have to elevate their thinking to get them to understand that 
well, I can't just allow you to be abusive because it is abusive to other folks who are trying to be respectful and they have something and it might trigger a response into those folks who say, well, I have one thing. Well, since they're getting more, I'm going to get more. And so in those situations, I have to get folks to be willing to compromise. And so in that situation, I make a general announcement, which isn't specific and isn't demeaning. And then I go to specific people and I have my staff address them specifically to address their emotional needs because we have an emotional awareness to try and get how they feel into what they're thinking into what's best for all of us. And so in that situation, we went to those folks, we talked to them, and we got them to understand, this is Christmas. Is this shopping or is this Christmas? And so we got them to appeal to their, their, their sense of the season and their awareness of the Christmas spirit to, to get them to understand that it's nice to have stuff, but it's not good to need stuff. And so being able to do that and be able to do a time frame within five minutes, we were able to have a reasonable compromise where they did get some more than what they were already intended to get, but they didn't get everything that they wanted. And so it's important to, under, it's important to understand that you can talk to folks, you can get to folks, but example is the best way to reach folks where they're at and they're not where you want them to be. So we also have to um, speak about um, conflict and how it doesn't matter what it is. Conflict should never be a sport. And when you're in situations where you feel the conflict is a win-loss, the best way to get out of those situations to try and create a point of where you win, you and the other person win. And now, of course, some people they recognize that maybe they've been trained, maybe they've had some experience in in court. Definitely, if you're dealing with um, lawyers, that can be a difficult situation. So then you have to understand that in those types of negotiations those types of conflicts, it's better that everyone loses. We're seeing the situation that's going on now with um, a big corporation like AT&T. They have a lot of money. They spent it poorly. And they have investors that they have to answer to. And the investors are saying, hey, you better protect our money. A big corporation like AT&T has been around a long time, but have had difficulties with the court. And they've had difficulties with their competitors they have to try and negotiate these situations. And a lot of times, a lot of people, they have the same conflict. They just don't realize it's on the same scale and magnitude. So it's important to keep this ongoing look of what at and management is deciding to see that certain conflicts are not just done. And a lot of times when we go through trainings and they give you these situation examples, they always talk about things where, oh, there's an answer. But a lot of times our life is not that simple. It's more complicated like that. So you can look at other folks and gain wisdom from their success and their failure, particularly in, into dealing with situations that are ongoing and there's con constant. Someone who's getting older, 
who's in chronic pain, they have to manage their pain. Doctors, they have to manage their, their budget. They try and offer relief to people, but then they understand that in the ultimate end of all things, yes, they have the Hippocratic Oath, but they got to make sure they get paid. A lot of times, people don't want to have long-term answers or ongoing answers. Um, the British government for a lot of years were always criticized for mucking around or mucking about. And that was a term that talked about, hey, just get on with it, get an answer, just get a resolution. Well, resolu resolutions take time. Sometimes they take a long time. And you have to recognize when you're in those situations. And so then your emotional approach and your emotional identity is critical to understanding how to accept that. That's when we have other situations where sometimes the situation will handle itself and you have to recognize when those, those cases show up. It's important to understand your, your emotional identity is tied to how you feel. And you have to understand when you're in that primal stage of, of state of mind in terms of, I want to get out of here or I'm just going to shrink myself so nobody knows I'm here. Or that fight mode, the one where you say, well, you know what? I'm not having it. I'm going to go about it. And so what the biggest lesson I can give to you is that you're at your event with a family member. They support the president. You don't support the president. They want to engage in conversation. You don't want to engage in conversation. Understanding their emotional need to be able to get out how they feel. You can let them have their moment, but then you can set boundaries on them on how much of that moment they get to have. And then you get them to agree that, does this really affect us? Being able to solve those issues, being able to get your emotional awareness to the point of where they recognize your emotional awareness and you recognize their emotional needs. That doesn't mean you have to cater to them, but you also have to understand how to rectify your need to have peace of mind. Because in the end, our health is what matters the most. It's the biggest thing that we have to worry about is our health. So in the end, the biggest thing you could do is recognize your emotional identity. Our emotional identity comes through a lot of ways. It has a lot of issues and a lot of problems, but it also has a lot of promise. And it also helps us to sharpen our awareness and uh, to help us find ideas to be able to get our level of stress reduced. And it's ultimately what the ultimate goal is. Reduce the level of stress in your life. And so I'd like to let you know that there's conflict and there's stress and the keys to understanding that moment of doubt and don't allow that moment of doubt to devolve into judgment because judgment is what's going to keep you from finding resolution absolution and so it's important to understand that doubt is a good thing that was what helped you to recognize your emotional identity. And when you understand your emotional identity, you can understand the emotional identity of others around you. 
and be able to come to a solution that's going to be beneficial to all. So I'd like to take thank this take this time time to thank you for listening to the to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any answers or questions, you can reach me at Think Big Educational Services. At Think Big Educational Services, we're here to find solutions to the problems that students have. We're also here to find solutions to the issues that others may have in terms of their educational goals. We're here to provide editing for books, also to find goals like financial aid for higher education, as well as any tutoring needs you may have. So in the end, I'd like to say thank you for listening to the podcast and have a good day.